This is the Endurance Church Podcast with Pastor Anthony Bass. At Endurance Church, our goal is to live well and finish strong by becoming faithful disciples of Christ. We do this through loving, disciplined, Bible-based teaching, encouragement, and care. For more information about our ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. And now, today's message. So if you can, uh, open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 53, verses 10 through 12. Uh, this is the conclusion of our Resurrection Month service. For here, for us, we do Resurrection Months. Christmas month service, uh, so we just don't focus on that one particular weekend because we believe these are some of the foundational points of our entire faith. It's so important, honestly, actually, you could spend the entire career as a pastor preaching on these topics right here. Isaiah 53, we talked about earlier, was a key scripture in all the Bible because it communicates like no other scripture in the Bible um, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the cross of Jesus Christ. This is something that was preached on 800 years before Jesus actually died on the cross. The practice of crucifixion at this time when it was actually being communicated wasn't even there yet. So when I'm a Jewish person, I'm hearing and reading about this from the prophet Isaiah, I'm like, what in the world is he talking about? Why? Because the Jewish people at this particular time thought that when Messiah came, he would be a super soldier. He would be like Captain America. Iron Man. He would be so powerful, he'd be able to deliver. He was like a judge. They thought he would be like a judge, like Samson. However, when the Messiah came, he looked like Jesus. He was a slain lamb. He was humble, meek, almost docile to God's will. And and it's not that this was just a surprise. It was a complete radical differentiation from the reality they had of what the Messiah was supposed to be. Now, the interesting thing here is this, that they should have known because this scripture is in the Bible. There's actually a sect of Jewish people that took Isaiah 53 out of the Bible because it points too closely to Jesus. So they got rid of it. So when you, when you look at this scripture, there are even some people who say Isaiah chapter 53 is one of the foundational doctrines of our reality. It, it points to secrets and mysteries that has been revealed to humanity that was unveiled in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We've been going through uh, Isaiah chapter 53. We've seen some shocking things, particularly if you're a Jewish person and you're in exile reading it. You're thinking the Messiah's going to come and everything's going to be cool. But what you start seeing is, oh, my goodness, when the Messiah comes, he's going to be brutalized, tortured, rejected. And as Isaiah is talking about this, particularly to that time when they're in Babylonian captivity, people are like, what is going on? See, this is the biggest problem we have, and I hope you get this one point right here. When... When they were in captivity reading it, they, they were in what they called exile. Everybody knows what exile means, right? 
You're, you're exiled from your, from your homeland. So I have a question that I want you to ponder. If you're exiled from home, how do you live? When the Jews were in Babylon, how were they to live? Were they, were they to live as though Babylon was their eternal home or even the home they would have their, their entire life? No. They were trying to get back to their true home. This is an important point. The Jews were in exile, and eventually they would come home. Now, when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, what were they put into? Exile. Adam and Eve were exiled from God, from relationship with God, from the presence of God. And until we're restored back to that place, we are in exile. This current world as a structure is not our home. We're in Babylon. And eventually we will get back home to the presence of God. But while we are in Babylon, like Daniel, we are in enemy territory, hostile grounds. And we have to have this mentality that we're living in such a way that will honor God. How did Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego give God glory in Babylon? They, they risked their lives to be faithful to God. And because of their diligence to be faithful to God, they put themselves in harm's way. But every time they went into harm's way, God got glory. But the only reason God got glory was because they were faithful despite the tests and trials they went through. Daniel kept praying, and the fact that he kept praying, even though there was an edict put out by the king, that if any man praised anybody else except for the king, would, in a sense, be punished. So he was thrown into the, the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the exact same way, because they would not worship the king. They said, forget that. I'm going to be faithful to God. And they were thrown into the what? Fiery furnace. They were faithful, and their faithfulness got them in trouble. But they survived their ordeal because they remained faithful despite the test of the culture they were in. We are in a war that is trying to win your soul. Sometimes we don't even realize we've bought into the lies of this culture. We've adapted to them. And we're living in such a way that does not bring God honor, but glorifies the world. The Bible says you can't be a friend of the world and a friend of God. So understand, when Jesus Christ came and died on the cross, it was the only thing he could do. That Jesus Christ's life is a natural conclusion of someone who was wholeheartedly faithful to God. Jesus Christ was persecuted by the world, and that's what happens when you are faithful to God. Now, I'm not saying or trying to consign you to a life of, of torment and suffering. I'm not trying to say that. But what I am trying to say is you have to have your mind, the capacity to be faithful to God when it's time to be faithful to God. Got a couple of points and I'm done. Here in verse 10 it says, but the Lord was pleased to crush him. That's a scripture that I read and stopped and pondered about 15 minutes. Because what brings me pleasure? I have a, oh, I'm going to go there. Stop. I like eating Terry Misu. Now, I can't eat tiramisu right now because I'm on a Daniel diet. So I have to stay away from tiramisu. I love tiramisu. I love steak with A1 sauce. 
Oh, I love the A1 sauce more than the steak, to be honest. But nevertheless, I love it. I can't even eat red meat right now. I don't eat that. I don't eat pork. I love it. But I found that if I just do what pleases myself, I will never have the capacity to obey God when it comes down to it. I live a life of moderation, of discipline, because there are going to be times when God says, go right. And if I'm always doing stuff that pleases me, when he says, go right, I'm like, that's not pleasurable. That can't be God. That's Jesus Christ here. Jesus Christ is being punished. He's being crushed by the Father, and it pleases him. It delights God. Now, you may say, oh, that's a light matter. It's not. I don't care. That hurt God. The fact that his son had to be crushed for us. That was painful for him and for Jesus. He suffered through that process. And he was pleased. Now remember that word pleased because it's important to understand where we're going today. To put him to grief. Listen to this. There's a conditional cause and effect started by the word if. It says if he would render himself as a guilt offering, referencing to Christ. The word guilt offering is a Levitical term referencing the two different goats that were sent out on the day of Yom Kippur. One was sacrificed immediately. The other one was sent off into the wilderness. The sins of Israel were, in a sense, judged through the death of the one goat, but also released because of that life of the other goat that was, in a sense, spared, at least for a couple of seconds. All these things symbolize what happened to Christ right here. He was crushed, killed, and his death took away our sins. And if we trust him, have faith in him, God considers us righteous because of his acts, not ours. It goes on to say, and he will, listen to this, if he would render himself as a guilt offering, then he will see his offspring. Think about the words. It basically contradicted itself there. If he would be killed, if he would die, then he would see. Now, if you're thinking about what the Messiah is during that day and time, you're scratching your head you're like, this doesn't make any sense. How could the Messiah be killed in one sense, but then in the next sense, see his offspring? This is a mystery that's only fulfilled in the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus Christ's death, then we are here. Because we place our trust in Jesus, we are now children of God. It doesn't work out any other way in history. Once a man dies, dead. But Jesus died and was resurrected, and because of his resurrection, we too have life. It goes on to say, and he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days. He's talking about eternal life. Because of his death, he's going to have eternal life, yes. And because of his death, we too will have eternal life. He's going to say, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Once again, this word pleasure. And now think about God, how different he is than we are. Because look at the things that give him pleasure. It was pleasing that Jesus was crushed. That pleased God. And at that moment, I'm confused. I'm confused, God, because how did crushing Jesus please you? But because Jesus Christ was punished, we have access to eternal life. God sees the big picture. 
oftentimes we don't. And there's a principle here, the things that please God don't necessarily please us. And that's the challenge of this life. We are free will creatures, means we have the will to do what we want. And when we worship God, we've consciously decided to obey him because that's worship. Surrendering your will to the will of the Father. Next point. This is, yeah, I think. It says, as a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. So when he's seeing Jesus suffer, when he's seeing Jesus punished, God sees his suffering and then he's, he's satisfied. He's content. That's tough. By his knowledge, Jesus has knowledge, the righteous one, my servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. I can't jump too far in here because we're about to break out into small groups. The point is this, that because God sees Jesus' actions and because Jesus knew something about God that most of us miss, that God does at times require those people he loves to sacrifice for his will. God at times requires you to sacrifice for his will. Sometimes you're going to have difficult relationships that you want to get out of. Is it God's will for you to be in that difficult relationship? How long could this last? It could last until your very last breath. Your entire life, you could be in a situation that is completely opposed to your desire, but it could be God's will. That's Jesus Christ. Go back to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. It says all these people died in faith without having received the promise in this lifetime. And because of his sacrifice, he justified many. He, he made right the balance. He took care of your debt that you owe God. Last point, we'll break up the groups. Next point. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong. Now, that booty there is a very biblical word, just so you know, like a pirate's booty. It's a treasure, y'all. It's a treasure. <laughs> Come on, King James. What are you thinking about? <laughs> Nevertheless, that word strong there is a unique word. It, it, that word is autism. That's what that word strong there means. It means mighty. And he's going to, stri- he's going to, he's going to divide the booty with those who are strong. And strong is what? That's the question. We are considered the strong because he's strong in us. And when we yield to God's will, then we are strong. But God never gives a reward to anybody at any time unless they earn it. And the only way you earn rewards is through sacrifice. Jesus said, if you do good to those who are good to you, then what reward have you? Don't even the heathens do that? Don't even the tax collectors do that? I kiss my wife every time I see her. I just like kissing her. Even though the other day I told her I didn't need a kiss because I knew she was late, but she interpreted that as saying that I don't ever want to kiss, so I had to fix it up really quickly. <laughs> I love to kiss my wife. I love it. I'm saying it in front of the world. But it's not always what brings you pleasures with God's will. We're being asked now by God to make sacrifices because we're in the midst of Babylon. We're in the midst of a war. And if we could be faithful to God now, he could trust us with eternal riches. So today we're about to break into small groups, and we have a couple of questions. 
Um, this is taken from a church context. As a church, how then should we respond to life with this truth? What truth? The fact that we are asked by God to sacrifice so that others can have life. If we're a church that only focuses on itself, then nobody else will have an access or opportunity to life, to God's life. That's not how it's done. The Bible says a seed remains a seed until it goes in the ground. And then once that seed goes in the ground and dies, then it produces fruit. It's a principle that most people don't even like to talk about. There's no life or abundance without death. Let's pray and let's break into groups. Father God, I ask you to give us wisdom as we break in our groups. Help us have great responses, great answers, have a great time in you. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a presentation of Endurance Church. For more about the ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash endurancechurch and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash endurancechurch.tv. Remember to live well and finish strong. Live.